All right, God's people said amen. All right, thank you guys for worshiping and for praise. Let me welcome you this morning. It's uh, so wonderful to, to be back and to praise God in His house and to join together as believers in our, our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just say welcome to you this morning. So glad to see you. I want to share with you this morning a, a message about, uh, about right decisions. You know, God promises to direct our lives. So many passages in the Bible are about God's direction in our lives, and He promises that He'll guide us. As a matter of fact, Jesus revealed that one of the ministries that the Holy Spirit does is that He's our guide, that He takes the situations in life and He takes His own Word, and then He helps us to understand and guide us throughout life. But you know, so many of these passages that we, we look at Scripture also have a condition with that guidance. In other words, there's a caveat to it or there's stipulations to God's leadership or God's guidance. Listen to one of those in Psalms 119, 133. It says, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. The psalmist says that God's direction is exclusively conditioned to his word, isn't it? That if we want to be guided by God, that the word has to be essential, the Bible. And so we have to accept that. So we can't just say, hey, God, guide me, and then just ignore his word. So that's fundamental to one of the conditions of the guidance. You know, there's another passage of Scripture. Uh, one of my favorites, I remember, is one of the first verses that I committed to memory when I was saved. And that's uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So there's this conditional thing of trusting Him, isn't there? I mean, without trusting Him, then can we be confident that He's guiding us? He says, trust the Lord, with, not with just part of your heart, but with all of your heart. Uh, he says, and lean not in your own understanding. Another condition, isn't it? <laughs> that if we expect God to direct us, then we can't, direct, we can't be self-directed. Doesn't work that way. Um, and then he says, in all our ways, acknowledge him. Give him credit for everything. And if we'll do that, you know what his response is? He'll guide us. He will direct our, our paths. And then one other verse of Scripture in Psalm 73. The psalmist writes this. He says, you will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Now listen, God says, you, the, the, the Scripture says that you will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me into glory. In other words, God's going to go all the way with His leadership. That He'll lead us all the way to His very presence, to glory. And so we can count on traveling in life in the right direction as long as we're Letting God do the leadership. As long as we're understanding His plan for that leadership. We're trusting the right resource for His leadership, the Word of God. Well, Paul finishes up his letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter, uh, with these verses. 
And out of these verses, I want you to consider with me what it means to go in the right direction. Right direction. We all want to go in the right direction, right? Have you ever been lost? Travel around. Guys never get lost. We just drive until we find out where we're at. And then we go. We might be late, but we're never lost. Uh, but we need to be traveling in the right direction. Here's what he says, beginning at verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we commend you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with and, and labor and toil night and day that we might not be burdened to you, a burden to you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how, should, uh, how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, my brethren, uh, do not grow weary in doing good. For if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may, not, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Pray with me if you would this morning. Father, we join together our our hearts and our minds together to seek you this morning. Uh, Father, to seek that direction that we need in life today, that we can truly walk with you and walk following you today. Lord, help us to see how important it is and the world and the time that we live in today. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you think about that right direction, Paul encourages us in several different ways. One of those areas of direction we need to realize is right direction when it's concerning our walk. Now, the idea of walk in the Christian life is, is just the, the understanding of how we live life. So we need direction on how to live as believers. Can you say amen? You guys, maybe, maybe, I don't know. You might have already figured it all out. I don't know. Uh, But if you haven't, you might still need some direction. You you might need some understanding. Listen, we live in complicated times today. Amen? I I mean, have you found this world to be more confusing lately than it has been maybe at another time in your life? Uh, we're, we're dealing with issues and things that we've never dealt with before. And so we need to know how to live uh, and, and be uh, close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses a term here when he says in our walk, to, he says walk disorderly. Let me give you some ideas about what that means. 
Uh, first of all, to walk disorderly. The root word for disorderly, or it's really the word for order, uh, is it means to arrange. And so when we use the, the, the opposite of it, then to walk disorderly to, is to walk with an unarranged life or an unordered life. Uh, it means to put things together. Here Paul's warning against an unarranging or being out of order in our lives. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, don't, be, don't let your life get out of order. Uh, because when things get out of order, we suffer for that, don't we? Uh, sometimes we make grave mistakes in our life when things are just out of order. Uh, and so he's calling us back to order. What's order? The, the order is God's design. Uh, and so he's calling us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, come back to how God designed for you to live. Come back to those basic things of faith and trust and following him. Now, we can see the results in our world today, right? Literally, of what it means to live disorderly or to have things out of order or not be following the designs that God has for us. We've been doing that now for several generations, and, and we're seeing what the Bible says. We're reaping what we've sown. We've lived long enough in disorder and out of God's design that we're really seeing what that brings about or what the product of that is. So we shouldn't be surprised in a sense, but Paul warns about our walk. He says, don't walk disorderly. Now, what, is that? what does he say about it? Look at verse 6. He gives us some inspiration for our right walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts with this statement or this a command. He makes it in command form. Listen, because he makes it in command form, there's an urgency to it. We can't wait any longer to get back to God's design. We, we have to hold to it as a church. We can't give up on God's design because it's too important. And so the Apostle Paul tells these believers, listen, I'm commanding you. There's an urgency that you stay the course, that you stay focused on God and how he wants you to live your life or his design, his leadership, him guiding you. He goes on and he says, brethren, he says, I command you, we command you, brethren. You see, there's an intimacy to this command. That there's an interdependency. Let me say that. Paul's writing to family. Brethren's a family term, isn't it? We, we call each other's bachelor. We say, hey, brother so-and-so or, or, or sister so-and-so. You know, because there's an intimacy to a family relationship. Why? Because there's strength in family. If you and I are going to live... This life that God has designed for us, then we have to do it together. We have to be on each other's side. We have to be supporting each other. We have to be lifting each other up. And so Paul reminds him, listen, it's urgent that we do this thing together as the body of Christ. He goes on also in that inspiration, and he, and he, he really gives the passionate aspect of it. He says... Uh, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the most passionate appeal that we can make for anything about God is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Him in prayer and we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so he passionately pleased. He said, listen, this is urgent. This is important. This is family. This is, this is serious that we are guided by the Lord Jesus Christ. That He leads us and we follow in His design. Well, He goes on and He gives some other information or other thoughts about being concerned about our walk. And He, he talks about the influence of our walk. If you look in, again at the end of verse 6, uh, He says this about that very thing. Uh, he says... Um, he says that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he has received from us. So Paul reminds us the danger of bad influences. Now look, he, he, says, he says step away from those brothers. You see, the possibility is that in the, even in the family of God, in the body of Christ, there's, there, there's those believers who maybe are choosing to live their life apart from God's design. Or they're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Or they're not committed to Him. Or they're dispassionate in a relationship about Him. What well, Paul says, hey, listen, don't let that be your example. <laughs> because that will only draw you away uh, from where you need to be. And so he, he reminds him of that. He says, look, there's dangers of bad influences. Right? How, how many of you parents have told your kids that? Choose your friends wisely. I mean, w- watch what you watch. <laughs> Uh, pay attention to what you're listening to, right? Or listen to and pay attention when you're supposed to. We, we have all these, as parents, we have all these warnings. Why? Because we don't want our kids to be drawn away into things that, that, that are hurtful and harmful. So we know that as parents. And Paul's reminding us as believers, listen, there's danger, dangers of bad influences, so he says, withdraw, take a step back. I also realize that, hey, uh, maybe, maybe I need to look at my own life. Maybe I'm one of those that is dispassionate toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to step back and say, look, what kind of an example am I to my brothers and sisters around me? So there's the dangers of bad influence. And then also, if you look a little bit further in verse 7, there's, Developing good influences. You know, that's what we want to do. We want, we want to be around those who lift us up. Who, who make us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do we want to be around them, but we want to be one of those. We ought to want to be one of those. That, that want to point people to a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, uh, <clears throat> he says, For you yourselves know you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Paul says, listen, hey, look, you, you know what kind of example we were, what kind of influence we were, how that we pleaded with you, how that we taught you, how that we encouraged you, how that we lived before you in a way that would, would demonstrate the Lord Jesus Christ to you. How, how amazing is that, isn't it? But yet how fearful that is for us from time to time. How many of us would be like Paul and lift ourselves up and say, hey, look at me as an example if you want to know how to follow Jesus Christ. We have to be 
growing and developing our own walk with Jesus Christ so that we can influence others to be closer to Jesus Christ. So he reminds us about right decisions or right direction concerning our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another area that he reminds us of as well. He reminds us of that right direction concerning our work. Our work. Now listen, I know that's a touchy subject. In our culture today, work, some of us is not as touchy as others. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, but, but it really is. But hey, listen, the Bible addresses it and we can't avoid it. Uh, and, and so we need to be reminded of it. And, and, and Paul does a tremendous job. In verse 8, he reminds us of the effects of work. In other words, how does work affect us as, as people? Uh, you remember that God gave Adam instructions about what to do in the garden, how to take care of it. And by the way, God gave Adam these instructions for what to do in the garden, his work in the garden. And he gave Eve as his helpmate before the fall. So work was always God's intention. It was always a part of his plan for, for, for you know, even in the perfect, you say that can't be right. In a perfect world, nobody would have to work. <laughs> no, in a perfect world, everybody works. Because that's God's design. Why is that so important? Well, there's some things that I really believe. First of all, work teaches us purpose. It really does. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8. He says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. In other words, he's saying that, hey, we were there before you. We could have asked for food. We had the right to because we're apostles. We're leaders. We could have that expectation, but we didn't do that. You see, work gives us purpose. God gave Adam assignments in the Garden of Eden so he would have these purposes in his life. Adam would know that he would wake up. I, you know, I don't know if the sun set or rose in the Garden of Eden or if it was... I don't know, but listen, Adam slept and he got up and he worked and he did those things because there was evening in the Garden of Eden, so there had to be morning in the Garden of Eden. So uh, he woke up he w- and he worked. He had purpose in all that he was doing. And, and work gives that to our lives. We can accomplish things. And when we accomplish things, that makes us realize that we're capable, that we're adequate. Sometimes. Depends on how well we do our job, I guess. But it gives us something that God designed us to need. Work does. You say, uh, uh, headaches is what it gives me. <laughs> or back aches. No, it doesn't. It gives you purpose. And like, another thing that work gives, not only purpose, but work teaches us Perseverance. Perseverance, how many times have you had a job or responsibility or something that, that you were assigned to do that you had to persevere through it? It was hard. It was hard. Um, it was difficult. I remember working through summers as a kid. Uh, you, you know, back in the day, you could work when you were 12, 13, 14-year-old. And, and we, were, we were working. I, I remember one guy, I, I got a job with him and it was all, he was all about remodeling condemned houses. And so first assignment he gave us, he, he signed me and my friend to paint a tin roof. You know, have you ever, anybody ever painted a tin roof? Mike knows, yeah. Well, I went, in the summer it gets reflective. <laughs> so when you're painting that beautiful silver paint on it, you don't realize it, but 
You're the recipient of the benefits of the sun. You get fried. And, and I remember just, it seemed like it was days that we were doing this, days and days. But it taught me perseverance. Because at the end of it, we could step back and say, wow, what a change. What a change. Listen to what Paul said. But, but he, he, said, he goes on to say, but worked with labor and toiled night and day. Paul says you worked hard, we worked hard, and we toiled night and day. Perseverance. Not, how not to give up. One of the biggest problems we have in our culture today is that desire to want to give up. Not just the desire, but the fact that we just give up too easy. We don't stay the course. Listen, our Christian faith demands that we learn perseverance. And in the workplace, is one of the great places where we can learn to persevere. That we finish what we start. Just like our faith and walk with Jesus Christ. So it teaches us things. And another thing that work does, work teaches us partnership. He said to those, those same believers in verse 8, he says that we might not be a burden to any one of you. That's partnership, isn't it? I mean, Paul said, look, we, we came and we worked and we earned our own food so that we wouldn't, so that we wouldn't be a, a burden on you. So that we could be a, an equal partner with you in this thing. And so we learn partnership in work. Some of us, uh, we, we, we learn a little faster than others, but we learn partnership in work. Uh, we learn how to resolve issues with others in the workplace, don't we? Right? We learn about big picture kind of things that if we work together, we can get a lot more done. That's what we need to know in the church. Is that all of us need to be working together so that we can get more done for the kingdom of God. That's partnership together. And so work teaches us that. And so Paul, Paul talked about the effects of work. He talked about the effort of work. Look at verse 9. He says, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So Paul is saying, listen, work, for us to work before you was a good thing. It became, a, 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 our effort became a great example for you. It's a good example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as believers, we ought to be the best of workers on our particular jobs so that we can exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, he talked about the expectation about work. <laughs> Here's the expectation Scripture gives. If you, do not, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Talk about revolutionizing the United States of America if we adopted that principle in Scripture. Uh, how, listen, I know people struggle. I know there's times in people's lives when they're at a place where they, they deeply need help. I understand that. I, I know in, in the life of the early church, there was a time in Jerusalem at the church where the believers there were so persecuted they couldn't get a job, they didn't have any food to eat, they, they, they couldn't work, and the other churches took up an offering and sent. I know that. But what Paul's talking about here is the general rule ought to be this is that we ought to work because it has so many benefits just besides the pay. Work 
It's it's a good thing. And so he reminds us of right direction concerning word. He goes on and he talks about right direction concerning our witness in the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says about that. He talks about in verse 11 a poor witness. He says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in, in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. You know the idea, a lot of Bible scholars believe that, that some of the reason that some of these believers weren't working is they were confused about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Is that they, they believed that the second coming was so close that they'd just quit their jobs. And they were living off the church. And, and so Paul says, listen, hey, that's not a good witness. That's not a good witness at all. What we need to do is, is, is to be contributing and sharing. And so he warned them about that. And then he went on to verse 12 and talked about a positive witness. Listen, he says, And now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. What's Paul says is a good example. Or the good witness is to don't be a busybody. <laughs> But in the humility and the simplicity of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, do your work, eat your bread, enjoy what you've earned. That's the Christian way. And that's the example that we ought to teach our kids and that we ought to exemplify to the world. And so Paul reminds us, listen, what are we going to be? Are we going to be a good witness or are we going to be... Uh, a not-so-good witness. It's our choice. How we live our life. It's the direction. It's right direction in our lives that's going to lead us to be good examples and good witness. And then finally, he talks about that right direction concerning God's Word, the Bible, His Word. He says in verse 13 uh, that the Word defines things for us. Do you realize that? That the word, you know, the Bible calls itself in Hebrews chapter 4 a sword. And that sword, Hebrews says, divides. It divides the most intimate, intense, and thoughts of our heart. Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what the word does it divides truth from untruth. It divides God's direction from uh, things that are leading us away from Him. It separates the truth from fiction or from fantasy. And, and so in that division, it begins to define where we need to be. Now, what does he say in verse 13? He says, don't give up. <laughs> he says... Um, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So the Word of God encourages us as believers to do good. Don't give up on doing good things. The Bible defines those good things. What's beneficial for His kingdom? What's beneficial for our lives? How are we going to be able to help our families? How are we going to affect this culture, this world that we're living in today? It's not by complaining. But it's by what the Word of God defines as, as good and right that we ought to attach ourselves to, that we ought to be doing, that we ought to be involved in. And so he says, listen, the Word of God defines things. 
And it says, don't give up. Stay the course. Stay true to God's word. And then also he talks about the word disciplines. Disciplines our own personal lives and other believers' lives as well. You say, well, I don't necessarily like discipline very much. But we desperately need to be disciplined. And the Word of God disciplines us in the sense that it builds character and strengthens us. Now, he says in verse 14, uh, he says, um, and, and the grace of our, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and if anyone does not obey our word in, the, uh, in this epistle, note that person and do not um, keep company with him that he may be ashamed, verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now listen, here's what discipline is about. Discipline is in, in accordance to the standard of the Word of God. I, I mean, the Word of God directs us in correction. But here's the whole thing also, is that in this response, it was isolation. Paul said, separate yourself. Here, here's how this needs to go. You need to separate yourself from them. But look, love and restoration is always the goal. In all biblical discipline that the church ever does, love, restoration is always the goal. To love someone and to bring them back to where they need to be in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If God is exercising personal discipline on, on you or I, do you know what His goal is? Is to bring us back to Him. To lovingly, because He cares for us, to bring us back in a right direction to Him. It's a goal. Now, for some of us, you know, for this situation, Paul says separate. Separate. And so, but the Word of God determines what the need is for those very things. You see, so there's a right direction when it comes to the Word of God. Paul goes on and, and, and encourages this church. And he says to them, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Isn't that our prayer? Is Lord give us peace and be with us all the time. Bow with me if you would this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for encouragement about right right direction. Father, we know that it's your great desire to guide us and to lead us through life and through the struggles and the dangers and the pitfalls and the perils of life. God, you promised us that if we'll follow you, that you'll guide us, that you'll help us to step past these dangers. To help us to overcome. And Lord, we, we trust you for that today. That you'll direct our path. Help us to see how important it is. I ask you in Jesus' name this morning, Lord. Amen. I want to invite you to stand this morning as we stand together and close in time of invitation. You know, uh, sometimes we all get a little bit sidetracked or lost or discouraged confused but God's always there to guide us out of those things and into the place where he wants us to be where he can bless us 
where he can use us for his glory and where we can benefit the most. Uh, God's always leading us to a better place. Uh, so we have to be sensitive to hear him and to be led by him. I hope you have that desire this morning to just, hey, Lord, lead. Lead me, direct me. Uh, help me to walk with you in these things. We're going to sing a verse or so of invitation this morning as we do. It may be that God might be directing you into a relationship with Him for the very first time that you want to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you and to give you eternal life and to be your Savior so that you can have someone that you know that you can depend on that will will guide you to to His goodness and to His fulfillment. Maybe here today and you know, as a parent, uh, I'm a parent, a grandparent, and sometimes it's just hard, isn't it, to know what to say or know what to do or know how to handle a certain situation. Uh, it seems like that uh, we go to sleep one night worrying about something, we wake up the next day and it's something new. Uh, well, God has an answer for all these things, and we can choose His, His answer. So maybe you just want to come pray for your family or lift somebody else up that you know or, or pray for some needs that you have, decisions you're about to make. I encourage you to do that today. Just come use this time, use this altar to come speak to God today, this morning. Uh, we're going to sing, and as we do, I encourage you to come.